The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here today. The show is brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC, and they will match your first deposit halfway up to $1,000. Uh, if you had the Tampa Bay Lightning last night and the over, you won. 8 to nothing was the final score in the NHL's Game 5 Islanders Lightning Series, Tommy. It's the biggest goal disparity in like 30 years um, in a playoff game. Uh, without uh, in, a, in a shutout, anyway. Uh, the third biggest shutout in playoff history of all time. Um, I, have not, I did not watch the game last night. I will tell you right now what I did watch. I watched soccer yesterday. I watched the Euro. Yeah, I don't even know who you are. I watched the Euro. It was so exciting. The D- Denmark was playing Russia while Belgium was playing Finland. And, Tommy, in Copenhagen, there were 24,000 sold out in this band box of a stadium. It was so loud. It, and the, the crowd was so into it, and they were not only rooting for their team to win, but they needed Belgium to win as well in their game that was going on with Finland. Um, you know, there's a lot about soccer I can't stand, and I'm not necessarily into the game itself. I still find much of it to be unwatchable, boring, and the flopping and the all that stuff. But the pageantry of these big events, it's kind of cool. I like it. And if I, and you know what I think we would both enjoy? If we like if we were in Denmark yesterday and went to that game, I think it would have been an incredible experience, sports experience. I really it do. It probably would have been. Although if we if we went to that similar experience in England, we would get pummeled. What why? Because we're Americans? Yes. Nah. My, bro- my, my, my brother goes all the time. He, he, he loves it and, and tr- has tried to get me to c- come over to some of those games all the time. He said it's the best, the absolute best. The thing is, is that hardcore sports fans respect hardcore sports fans. Like these. Yeah, but we wouldn't be hardcore sports fans. But we'd we be, are. We would under- tra- no, we're, 
We'd be travelers in, in a soccer match. <laughs> well, if we were taking uh, tickets away from somebody who was really passionately into that event, yeah, maybe. But um, I don't know. I mean, you know, these big events, I don't know. I'm sick of going to games. But yesterday I sat there thinking, God, that would have been a cool place to be in. I felt the same way a couple of weeks ago and I mentioned it to you when I was watching the Islanders beat whoever they beat in the last round at Nassau County Coliseum. There was, it was like an environment that just, you know, maybe it's the year off of not seeing any of that stuff. The thing that I hate about... That's, I think that's a lot. I mean, I think the crowd is magnified even, you know, from watching it on TV because we watch sports in, in, in empty arenas and stadiums for a year. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Um, now, I went to a game, by the way. You went to the uh, you went to the D.C. Grays game. I saw the picture that you put out. No, last night. But before that, Saturday night, I went to a Frederick Keys game for the first time this year. Oh. Up well, here in Frederick. We have a little story to tell, tell about them here in a moment, but I'm going to let you tell your story first. Okay. Uh, I've, I've known the history of the Keys since they began. I used to work for the Baltimore Sun covering Western Maryland, and my office was in Frederick. And the Keys started in 1989. And uh, they played in an old field called McCurdy Field, where people uh, around the fence sat in lawn chairs to watch them play. And then they built a stadium a nice stadium for them that opened up in 1991 for the Frederick Keys, a Class A affiliate of the Baltimore Orioles. And for years, I thought it was one of the best minor league franchises I've, I, you know, in the area, certainly. Uh, and it was great, if you were an Orioles fan, to see future Orioles players. I mean, that was the attraction. You know, for years, many years ago, baseball thought – it would be poison to put minor league teams near their major league clubs because it would take attendance away. And it did just the opposite. It, it increased major league attendance because people began following players from Class A all the way up. So, uh, I, But they're not an Orioles affiliate anymore. The Keys were one of the 40 teams that kind of got whacked by major league baseball uh, when they – decided to destroy their minor league baseball system this winter. And now the Keys are in what's called a draft league. Okay? And I'm sitting there watching this game, and I can't fathom why what I'm watching is any different from when I watched the D.C. Grays play. It's college players playing baseball now. So they're Nothing not... wrong with that. Right. But, but it's not professional baseball players. It's not what it was. It, it's a bunch of college kids that hope to get drafted. Hmm. And it, it, it's, it's a scam. It's a farce. There were, and, and you know, it's, it's a shame what's happened to the Keys. There were maybe a thousand people there on a Saturday night, and it's fireworks night. Now, that's huge. that usually filled the place. There were maybe a thousand people in there, and I'd say... Half of them were kids, which it's really heartbreaking when you think about it because, like I've said all along, baseball's greatest marketing tool are their minor league teams. I mean, there were kids 
everywhere. And there's nothing like that in basketball. There's nothing like that in football. You know, where where families can take their three kids to go see uh, a professional, a, a legitimate professional basketball game or a legitimate professional football game. But baseball has this product that introduces kids at a young age to baseball. And they've, they're ruining it by screwing with this minor league system. This was a joke. It, it was, it's it's college-age players who hope to get drafted now. It's no longer professional players who have already been drafted who hope to play for the major league team. And it's, it's no, look, with all due respect, it's no different than watching the Cal Ripken League uh, game. What, the Ironbirds or whatever they were called? No, that's, 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 they're, they're still legitimate. I mean, a Cal Ripken League is the league that the Grays play in. Like the, the big train playing the Cal Ripken League. You know, that's the wooden, college wooden bat league that I'm a part of. I don't, I, I, you know, what is, what, what is, what are the Frederick Keys in now, right now? What is the league they're in? It's called a draft league. What, draft? D R A F T? What does that mean? Yeah, like baseball draft. Okay. And so... these are supposedly players that are playing to develop to hope to be drafted. But but are they former college players that didn't uh, get signed by big league teams and put into the minor league system? I think I as I understand it, and I need to I need to talk uh-huh. to more people about this. But uh, my understanding is they they are players who who graduated or who left school or who were play, playing high school ball, uh, you know, uh, who, you know, hope to be drafted, literally to be in the draft by, or signed by somebody. I, that's, all they, uh, that's all they are. I think it's, I think it's interesting, and I, I, I'm, I'm realizing um, how little I know about this. Um, God, it's really weird. A little bit of digression here. I was just watching Sports Center, and the lead to the Sports Center was like some of the college World Series stuff. And I thought to myself, it's weird that I've never ever gotten into the college World Series, and it's become, you know, a pretty popular event. Yes, you know, it has. E- even on t- on television for ESPN, and I've never gotten into it. But but anyway, I. You know, like over the years, like when somebody says, oh, he's going to go play in the Arizona Fall League. I'm like, okay, whatever the hell that means. Like, I understand big league and then triple A, double A, single A. And I know that there's even, you know, different levels of some of those uh, single A teams, I believe. Yes, there are. So, there's the South of, there used to be South Atlantic League and the Carolina League. So I don't, different levels. but after that, Tommy, I have no idea. I have no idea, like where the Nats after Harrisburg, right? Is there um, double A? Is there double? What's their triple A? Rochester. Rochester. Triple right. A has been moving around. Yeah, it's been moving around. And then you have obviously, you know, the Potomac. You know, uh, yeah, but it, now they're the Fredericksburg. Okay, the but, Fredericksburg. Right. I did now. see. I did read that. Um, and yeah. then, um, what's their other uh, A level team? Uh, you know what? I don't know offhand. Okay. So I don't know offhand. So I, I understand big league, minor leagues. Then what? What's the Arizona league that I've read about a lot? What's this draft league that I've read about? What are all these other things? Like no other sport has this stuff. Well, it's, 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 
it should be an entry. It's all about player development, cheap player development, I might want to point out. Right. You know, because uh, most minor leaguers don't, don't get paid a lot of money. Right. Well, they're not uh, generating a lot in revenue. Right. Well, Although they're uh, very I mean, profitable. Some... I had a friend of mine yeah. that was a that was a minority owner in a minor league team and he said the business model for minor league teams are phenomenal because your well, costs you don't pay are... for any of the players. Yeah, they're it's such a low cost on the players. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you don't pay for the players. Right. The major the, league the major team, league team pays for does. The players. Right. Yeah. All you pay buy is the hot dogs and uh the uh the fireworks and stuff. It was just disappointing cuz the keys I thought were a, a a good product for years, and now it's not the same thing. Nobody's going to show show up to watch these guys play. I mean, not pay to watch them play. I mean, you can go to a DC Grays game like I did last night for free. You know, I bought the most expensive tickets to go see the keys. Nope. Now it's only thirteen dollars a ticket, <laughs> but still, you Big know, I mean, I I wasn't watching, you know, minor league professional baseball. And uh, it's it's a shame. Uh, and I'm going to find out more about it. I'm going to talk to some people I know in minor league baseball. But supposedly, how this happened in a lot of places, baseball. Well, the pandemic really the pandemic hurt a lot of minor league baseball. Well, it did. But baseball, what they did in order to to cut up like 40 minor league teams, they they sort of came up with this criteria to force them to improve the conditions at the ballparks, like improve the clubhouses and spend money. In other words, to spend money if they wanted to survive. And I'm not sure if the Keys refused to do that, if the city refused to do that or what. But that's how they weeded out about 40 teams. What they did was they, they, made, they changed the playing field. They made the rules different, and some teams couldn't afford to keep up with those rules. So they, they lost their teams. And some of the, some of those teams have been replaced by what uh, what this, these draft league teams, which is college players. I'm not disparaging these players, but it's not what the keys were. Right. And they're not going to get people to show up on a regular basis and pay money uh, to to watch these guys play. A thousand people on a Saturday night for a keys game that that's pretty lame. So can I continue the mudslinging on the on the Frederick Keys? Uh, sure. Go right ahead, and I have one more uh, key story to go. But yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, go, let's no, go, on the go, no, go with your second key story. Okay. This this should be, and this has nothing to do with what we were talking about. But this should be a Tommy story time segment. Okay. I know mm-hmm. we can't play the Tommy story time music. I don't have it. Uh, I know that. But uh, in 1994, during a baseball strike in December. Uh, the Keys had only been around about four or five years then, and they had their winter festival, which is a banquet that they had up in Frederick. And I was covering the Orioles as a beat writer then. And I figured, well, this would be a good thing for me to go to because there'll probably be some club officials there that I can talk to. Remember, they hadn't been playing baseball since August because of the strike. And so this would give me a chance to see, like, Roland Heeman, the general manager, a few other people. Right. So I got invited to a pre-banquet uh, cocktail party uh, at this holiday, holiday Inn in Frederick. So I'm standing at a table, and I'm drinking with Tom Clancy 
and you've, uh, you've, Frank Perdue. You've told me this story before, but keep, but keep going. I, I'm remembering this story yeah. now. Go ahead. Yeah, Frank Perdue, uh, the Chicken King. Yeah, uh, the, he's just about to start a minor league team in Salisbury, Maryland. Clancy from Baltimore. South Atlantic. Clancy League. from Baltimore, by the way. Yes, Clancy was a minority owner in the Orioles. Right. The second biggest shareholder uh, in the Orioles behind Angelos. Right. And uh, Frank Perdue was about to own an Orioles minor league team in Salisbury. So that's why they were both there. And that's where the so Perdue headquarters at this were, table, yeah. Yes, drinking with these guys. And Tom Clancy is bitching about the baseball strike. Now, earlier in the week, the New York Daily News had a front-page story about how Frank Perdue, uh, some months back, had reached out to John Gotti about union problems he was having <laughs> with his plant down in Salisbury. Oh, really? You know, and wanted to know, I, yes. don't re- I don't remember this story now, so this is a different story. Yes. Go ahead. And wanted to know if Gotti could do something about it. This is a big story in the Daily News. And this is 94. So, this is 94. Yeah. So Gotti yeah. is is still part of the Gambino crime family. He hasn't been arrested yet or, right? I don't believe so. Okay. No. And I don't know how far back he had asked him to intervene, but the story was he asked the mob to help him with a union problem. So we're sitting here drinking and Tom Clancy's bitching about the strike, and all of a sudden he blurts out, you know what we should do? We should get the mafia to take care of the baseball union. And he's joking, and he has no idea what he said. I'm, I'm convinced he has no idea what he said as Frank Perdue looks at him with daggers. <laughs> you know? As Perdue is thinking, this son of a bitch, he's rubbing that daily news story in my face. I don't think Clancy had any idea, uh, uh, you know, connecting the two. Right. I just couldn't believe it. That was that was pretty funny. That is so hysterical. That's my Frank Perdue, he's uh, Clancy story. Did you write so about let's, it? Let's, uh, no, I didn't write about it. <laughs> I didn't write about it. I bet it. you were tempted. Yes, I was. I was tempted, but uh, I was the beat writer then. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I basically, I was, I just basically wrote the news. At that point. By the way, Gotti yeah. was finally incarcerated for good in 94, actually. Okay. His uh, his final um, appeal on that last, um, you know, uh, series of charges um, was rejected by the Supreme Court in 94. God, you know, um, he, uh, so Gotti passed away in 2002, all right, in prison passed away there are pictures here on his wikipedia page of him being beaten in prison in 1996 i don't remember this story oh my god he was beaten to a pulp in 96 really and he was in solitary so it was anyway uh that's a great story that was not the story i thought you were going to tell me is there another story with tom clancy and you no that's the only time i met tom clancy oh okay so Okay, well, let's let's bury the keys now with with <laughs> well, no, with, with uh, you, a couple of shovels of dirt here. You sent me no. Wait, wait, go ahead. You sent me a note the other day, and you said the Frederick Keys have a game on June twenty sixth, 
and Brian Baumgartner, um, a.k.a. Kevin Malone from The Office, is going to be there signing autographs, taking pictures. You know, it's it's a Brian Baumgartner night for the Frederick Keys game. You should see if you can get him on the show. And so, of course, being the Office fan that I am, um, and by the way, being a big fan of his podcast, The Deep Dive on The Office, it's excellent. He's done a great job. I bet you, by the way, it's one of the most successful podcasts out there because um, what's her um, uh, – Jenna Fisher and Angela uh, Kinsey – their podcast, The Office Ladies, has essentially been an absolute home run. I mean, millions and millions of downloads. You know, they're probably making more money off that podcast than they did off The Office. Um, but anyway, his podcast to me is much better. It's like he's got everybody on. He's got he hit Steve Carell on last week. He's got everybody from the show. He's got writers from the show. He's got the you know he had uh, Ricky Gervais and um, and Stephen Merchant on the show. You know, and how the whole thing came about from the British a- a- adaptation, etc. And it's a really good pod. It's very good. I-, I-, I listen to the podcast all the time. So I was like, God, I'd love to get him on the radio show or podcast. So I called the Frederick Keys and I said, uh, you know, I had the main number and I said, may I speak to somebody in your PR department, marketing department, anybody that's involved with this Brian Baumgartner um, promotion? I said, I think I can, re- I, you know, I didn't say anything. And they said, well, who's calling? And I said, well, I, I go, my name's Kevin Sheehan. I have a radio show in DC and a podcast and I'd love to get Brian on the show. I think, it, you know, I think it would help, you know, promote the night that he's going to be there. So uh, can you hold for one second? And then the person gets back on the phone. Yeah, um, contractually, Brian is only making that appearance and not doing anything else. And I said, okay. I said, do you have a number to reach him or his agent or whoever set this up? We do, but we cannot give it to you. (laughs) And I said, I'm trying to help here. Like, it would be great for me, no doubt, but, you know, I can't imagine that you don't want this big night with this guy promoted somehow, right? They need all the help they can right. get up there. And so I just said, I, and I said that and I, in, in a nice way, and I just said, who is his agent? Where is he? What agency is he with? Do you have any information that you can just give me, and then I'll find the phone number? Nope, we can't give you any of that. So I'm like, Okay. So whatever, I'm sure I could find. I'm sure I, I don't even know who's in charge of the of the franchise anymore. I don't know if they're still owned by the same owner. Uh, the guy who owns the Keys, I think, owns the Bay Sox and the Norfolk Tides mm-hmm. uh, down in Norfolk. I think. I don't know if he, I don't know who owns this. To be honest with you, anymore. I got a lot more research to do, which I'm going to do. But I was just outraged knowing what the Keys were and what they've become. And a, this is a perfect. What your experience is a perfect example, you know. I mean, in in you know, most minor league teams would jump over themselves to try to get publicity for an event of theirs. I just, as I'm sitting here, I, I pretty much just sort of gave up. And that, but what I just did is I just Googled, and I think I've got a phone number for his agent. Um, so maybe I'll reach out to, to the agent or at least, you know, what I've come up with here to see um, if I can do it that way. But no, no, you're you're 100 percent right. When you are look, even the professional teams 
in this day and age. And I've we've talked a lot about the PR people with the various, you know, professional teams in town. And sometimes, you know, how we believe, at least from our perspective, they're missing sort of the boat. You know, it's it's very much a they think they're doing us big favors when really it's very much sort of you know, um, it, it, we're doing each other a favor. You know, look at the ticket situation with a lot of the local teams, and I'm in, you know, not necessarily the Nats or the Caps, but the Wizards and the in the football team in particular. You know, the football team is is in a position, Tommy, over the last let's call it five years, that they were not in through their through the last fifty, the previous fifty. Like they really should be aggressive in marketing their product because even though we're inside this world of talking about the football team all the time with a lot of you that listen and are interested in the football team, the truth is the numbers have dwindled significantly and their ticket sales have been horrific the last couple of years. And then last year, you know, there were none obviously, but I would bet you right now, even with a division title, even with some excitement over Ron Rivera and Chase Young and new management and Ryan Fitzpatrick, I would bet you they are still very much struggling on the season ticket package front. And oh, I would, I would think. Well, one thing, the whole, you know, I look, I, I think Jason Wright is probably smart enough to recognize this. I don't know him from Adam, but based on his resume, I would think uh, he's recognized smart enough to see the trends in the business and season tickets are are you know are not the lifeblood that they used to be no. for any franchise that's right i mean people like to make their decisions about going to events like uh, the younger people as as we say in the business like within a day or two yeah you know <laughs> but uh, you know when the last time that football team had an idea of the importance of promotion when Brian Lafamina was there, Brief. that's when they understood. He he understood it. Yeah, um, he, he he had a he had he had not one roadblock but two. <laughs> yeah. He had an owner and a team president who didn't like him much um, after he admitted yeah. that there was no season ticket waiting list. <laughs> that was really you know Brian you know Brian was a nice enough guy you know I spent I, I told you I he, he invited me out there I spent two or three hours two hours with him one day out at Redskin Park and and um I still think one of my favorite all-time Tommy predictions was it was maybe you know oh I know when it was because it was the launch of of the pod this podcast and you and I you know started doing it together two days a week and it's been that way ever since we launched the podcast two and a half years ago um but I remember one of the uh, maybe the first show we were having a conversation about Brian Lafamina and you said if Brian Lafamina calls me, I've got one piece of advice, and he better listen, and he better listen closely. Rent, do not buy. <laughs> and then you said, I give it one year before he is gone. And it was less than one year before he was gone. Yeah. Less than yeah. one year. Um, but it's a new day, a new dawn and a new day. It could be. You know, I mean, you know, that it's... It, it, it could be. It, the, in this particular moment, considering all that he has on his plate, it could be a new day. Uh, did you have any thoughts on the patent and trademark um, offices, uh, you know, uh, d- declining of the trademarking of Washington football team? 
I talked no, about it, it a little it, bit it, yesterday. It, it kind of bores me. I, I, I don't particularly have a grasp of it. How's that? Well, I'm surprised because, um, to me, it's an indication of just it, – it's another, it's another example of arrogance and incompetence in combination. Too, oh, I get that. Too, I, I got that. Yeah, too arrogant to ever think that never, never, never might be someday, someday, someday. Um, And then too incompetent to even just spend, it would have been nothing to spend a little bit of money on a bunch of names, future names, and trademarking all of them. I I think they're scrambling behind the scenes right now on a lot of this stuff. Now, they can buy their way out of it, you know, but who knows what some of these squatters are sitting on and how much they want. And apparently you're not allowed to do do that with URLs anymore, but, the you know, the, the, it's, this one guy owns like 25 different trademarks of potential Washington yeah. names. And I did hear, you know, late last year that they let the Warriors trademark that they had, they let it lapse and somebody else picked it up. But... Look, I, I, I look. I know it's. We all get caught short sometimes uh, in uh, our decision making, but good business is, you know, having a backup plan, even if you never use it, never use it. It's never a waste of time to to, to prepare for something that won't happen. But, but that the, could happen. Yeah, look, it can be a waste of time to prepare for something that'll never happen. But there but should that have been could happen. Yeah, but but the could happens and this was always a could happen even when it seemed yeah. at various times including 5 years ago after the Washington Post poll came out, the post poll that reflected 9 out of 10 Native Americans had no problem with the name at all, did not find it to be pejorative or insensitive or any other um, you know, uh description you want to give to it that would be negative. Um even then, you know, somebody in that organization should have said, yeah, but Dan, here, here's the deal. The world changes, bro. It changes. Yeah. We've seen a lot of these, you know, p- things that never, never, never. But then eventually, and this is not a never, 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 because it actually could, because you'd have to change it if the revenue streams that you collect uh, from big sponsors and corporate sponsors were cut off. And they said, you have to change it. Like, that was always what was going to change it. So there was always a possibility, even in the times when it seemed like it was a total long shot. But, you know, um, look, the bottom line is how many businesses has he been in that have actually worked? His first one, which ultimately, you know, wasn't a great business. He sold it just in time. And then the NFL team, everything else has failed. I'm sure there have been a couple of other hits. But, you know, between Johnny Rockets and the movies and the various other things, they've all sort of failed. And this football team has failed. And the only reason radio it's... Radio st- stations? Radio stations. And the only reason... <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the, the, you know what? The funny thing is it failed because he got completely duped on the prices going in. Um, yes. So it was never yes, going to work did. for him. But, you know, the football team is a failure, even though it's propped up by this, you know, by the 31 other teams in the television contracts, you know, so it'll never actually fail. But this, you know, the actual performance has been, you know, gross over the years. Um, anyway, yeah. uh, so I don't know. We're just sort of rambling here per usual. Um, Frederick Keys, 
Washington football team trademark um, into other things. I did want to talk about a comment that Ron Rivera made. It's the second time he's made it, and he made it about Ryan Fitzpatrick. We'll get to that and a few more things right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So Ron Rivera, Tommy, has been making the rounds with the beat people. Um, and he did an interview the other day with John Kime. He did one with Ben Standig. We talked about some of that last week. He also did one with Nikki Jabala from the Washington Post, in which um, he said the following um, about Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, he said, I think for now the focus has shifted to shoring up the rest of the positions. Again, there's nothing that says Ryan Fitzpatrick can't be the guy for a while. If this dude continues to play at the level he has, and with Brady showing everybody that these veteran guys can do it, just ask Phil Mickelson, he'll tell you, then why not? Why would we, why would we want to move on? Um, this is something that I said the day they signed him. That I, this, is, this may be a one-year deal, but this could be a two-year-plus solution for them. This is the second time he has said it. And so I am curious just, uh, you know, and I took calls on it this morning and it was pretty much split. How many people think that Ryan Fitzpatrick is not only the starter now, but it's more than just a one-year solution? Because I think the odds are even money that he's the starting quarterback for at least the next two years. Now, I could probably get better odds on that, but the reason I wouldn't be able to get much better odds on that is there's not an obvious person waiting in the wings, even though the fan base, not the fan base, a percentage of the fan base believes that Taylor Heineke is there waiting in the wings, and he shouldn't even wait that he should be the guy right now. But I, I'm not surprised that he, this is not the first time he's, he's said this. I think this is the second time that he has said this. 
But um, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick, if you force me to wager right now, I would wager that Ryan Fitzpatrick is the starter this coming season and in 2022. Well, I would go, I think, the opposite direction on that. Uh, I don't think he'll be the starter at the end of this season for this team. Uh, you know, most most NFL players take a beating, and uh, he's played he's played in 165 NFL games, all for bad teams. Okay, so I'm thinking he's probably taken his share of beatings over the years. Unlike Brady, mm-hmm. who didn't take that many beatings when he played for the New England Patriots for years, and I just think that nature takes its toll. Uh, I think the odds are extremely against. Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, being successful at this age with his miles on him. I know he's coming off two of his most successful years uh, in in the NFL uh, as an elder statesman, but uh, you know uh, that can creep on up on you real quick. That that breakdown of the body can happen before before you realize it, and I just think the odds are greater that he's not going to be able to withstand uh, a pounding for a full season for this team. And won't be the starter uh, for the full 18, 17 games. i got to get used to that, let alone start next year as well. Look, there's always the chance, and it's not you know a far-fetched chance, that his age 39 season, which is the one upcoming, and then if if I'm right and he plays in 2022, he'd be 40 years old, that it's possible that he may just break down. And even off of the two most productive years of his career at ages 37 and 38, with you know not a great team, in fact, a terrible team in 2019, but a much improving young team in 2020, um, if that was an aberration and, you know, and he breaks down. Obviously, I'll be wrong on this. I, I will, I, I will take the chance that this guy, by the way, has been hurt, but never super seriously hurt, where he like lost a whole season, like Brady did, um, right? Uh, in uh, in whatever the year that was, um, when they still went eleven when and Matt, five with Matt Castle. Yeah, Matt Castle played instead. Um, but I think that the big the, the the reason I believe this is first of all they had a guy that physically couldn't do it last year but had great leadership and great intangibles and they only won seven games but they won a division they played in a playoff game and even though they only won seven games and it was sort of a flukish division win because the division was so bad there's recognition that there's a really good team in the making in different parts you know defensively and even some players offensively and i think one of the reasons that they really went for it on the quarterback this year and then ultimately settled for the older of the you know potential plans Um, is they think they can be competitive right now. And they can be competitive with a guy that has the experience, has the leadership, has the intangibles. And, oh, by the way, plays the way Scott Turner wants his quarterback to play, wants him to push it down the field, but is also a guy that really spreads it around well. Like, I think he's a good fit for this for this offense. I also think that if you go back over the course of the uh, of the the eight different, you know, uh cities that he's played in over the course of his career, this would probably be in the top two or three in terms of surrounding casts. You know, he's been on a lot of bad football teams 
over over the years. He has started, you know, 145, 146 games during his NFL career. Most of them, 80% of them, have been on bad teams. And this one's a good team around him. It's not a it's not a Super Bowl contending team, and it's not a deep into the playoff team without a great quarterback. And I'm not suggesting he's great, but he's good enough for this team to be competitive with him. And if they're a, a, an improved team offensively this year and he plays well, then I think he's back in 2022. By the way, I think there's a, a good possibility, Tommy, that they're an improved team this year and don't make the playoffs. I think that possibility exists, and in part because of the competitive landscape. And you know I hate the schedule game, but I've already talked about the quarterbacks they have to face, et cetera. Like they could win eight or nine games this year, you know, one to two games more than they won a year before, but not make the postseason this yeah, year. You're right. Um, but you know what's interesting? Yeah. You brought up, uh, and this is you know how you're you know different perspective on things, and you can use this either any way you want. You brought up the fact that he's played for bad teams as a way to be hopeful that with a better cast, he'll be able to play better. And my argument would be the fact that he's played for bad teams his entire career tells you something about the quarterback. What does it tell you about the quarterback? I'm saying the, sur- the, well, that he's the not, surrounding cast. He's, he's not... And I'm bad. saying that he's not he's not good enough to play for 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 good organizations. Well, I've ne- I, I'm not saying that he's a guy that elevates a bad organization like Aaron Rodgers or the, the four or five that can do it. I'm just saying that he hasn't had the benefit of you know being um, you know a, a Jimmy Garoppolo on on a team like that, and he's better than. But Jimmy But I don't Garoppolo. think that's an accident. I think that's I think that's by by design. Well, I don't think anyone wanted to touch him. You know, of that, those teams. that's not unfair. It's funny. You want to hear something really interesting? You talk about a journeyman career. Um, that with Ryan Fitzpatrick can be measured based on his record, which is 59, 86, and one as a starter. The now on his ninth team. Um, you know, over, uh, you know, a, a career that started in 2005. So, you know, entering what his 17th season as a quarterback. I mean, but let me give you another way that journeyman's reflected and, 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 and you can describe it. I went through his contract history because somebody asked me this morning about Taylor Heineke's uh, contract versus Ryan Fitzpatrick's contract and Taylor Heineke signed a, a 4.75 million aggregate deal with just a million and a half guaranteed whereas Ryan Fitzpatrick signed a one-year 10 million dollar deal with six million of it guaranteed it's still cheap for a quarterback but listen to this Tommy okay he in his last um in the last now seven contracts that he has signed all of them have been for either one year or two years that is definition of, yeah, we like him, but, you know, he's just sort of, you know, out there and we need a backup or we need a guy who can start in a pinch. In 2013, and, and listen to the values too. So, so over the course of his career, he's only had one massive deal. In 2011, off of a really good, you know, couple of years 
uh, in Buffalo. That that Buffalo stretch, you know, he was playing well. What not great teams necessarily, but they liked him as a starter. He had started, you know, thirteen games, sixteen games, whatever it was. Um, he signed in 2011 a six-year deal worth $59 million, $15 million of it guaranteed. So a real long-term deal. It's the only long-term deal he's ever signed in his career. Since then, two-year deal in Tennessee for $6.5 bucks, or $3.25 per year. Then a two-year deal in Houston for $7.2 million. In aggregate, so three point six million a year. Then a one-year deal with the Jets for twelve million in twenty sixteen. You know that that twenty sixteen season um, for him uh, in New York was uh, off of the uh, him coming in the year before and going ten and six. So he got one year twelve million bucks from the Jets um, in twenty sixteen. Uh, after he had uh, played with them and, and gone ten and six, anyway, then it was a one-year three million dollar deal with Tampa, a one-year three point three million dollar deal with Tampa, and then he played a, well enough that Miami signed him to a two-year eleven million dollar deal. If people aren't following, the bottom line is here: like he's been the master of one and two-year deals, and his compensation goes up, comes down, goes up, comes down, and this year it's up. He was making $5.5 million a year in Miami, but off of two good years, he just got a one-year deal worth $10 million. It's just it's, it's interesting to, to see the career of a quarterback who will never be thought of as Hall of Fame or Pro Bowl or anything else, true journeyman, and to see the contracts sort of mirror the kind of career he's had. He's made a shitload of money, though. Like, overall... He's made a lot of money. Like I think guaranteed, you know, uh, overall, um, you know, it's coming up on, you know, well north of 55, 60 million um, in overall uh, aggregate earnings during the course of his career. Anyway, well, I don't Good for him. Yeah, I He's a likable guy. I don't know where and this is going. Nobody gave a chance coming out of Harvard. No. Look, it's just, I mean, look, I mean, you know, uh, I just think it's just a, a, a real gamble. He could, he could, you know, have a year like he's had in the past, and he'll have better talent around him. You're right about that. But I think if there's odds, I think the odds would be that he'll break down. Um. Yeah, I think it's. I also just think it's like over the last twenty whatever years of. 30 quarterbacks or whatever it's been. I don't have the list of all the quarterbacks in front of me. Um, I guess, you know, you could sort of compare it to, um, I don't know, who who could you really compare this to? Uh, Jeff Hostetler, when they signed him at the end of his career. What about John, John Freese? Uh, not, yeah. not, oh, in terms, in terms of journeyman. Yeah. But I think that, that John freeze was much younger. I'm trying to think of like quarterbacks okay. they signed that were, you know, truly older quarterbacks over the last, you know, many years, Brad Johnson wasn't super young, but he wasn't old. I think when they signed him, he was probably, I don't know. He had to be in his late twenties, worst case. Um, Doug Williams was in the back part of his career. 
you know, Alex Smith was definitely in the back portion of his career to a certain extent, definitely. Oh, McNabb. McNabb was. But McNabb had so much more success. But when McNabb got here, he was 35 years old. Anyway, I don't know. Just Ryan Fitzpatrick talk, I guess. I think there's a good Watson chance. Watson and quarterback talk. I think there's a good go chance. Wrong. I think the, he, there's a good chance he's going to be the quarterback for the next two years. And I think even okay. – I, I also think, to your point, you don't think he'll finish the year. Um, if it's because of performance, obviously he won't be back. Um, and performance because, you know, he hit that wall at 39 years old. Um, but if he plays well, but towards the end of the year they're out of it and they give Taylor Heineke a bunch of starts, then it comes down to what does Taylor Heineke look like? You know, but I don't think if he doesn't start all 17 games that that means he isn't coming back. I think they could be an improved offense and an improved team and not make the playoffs this year and he could still be back. Uh, a few things to finish up the show on when we come back right after these words from a few of our sponsors. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. So I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about this because I think I figured out on my radio show this morning that personally, um, I care a little bit about it, but I had this sense that a lot of listeners don't care. And I'll tell you why I think that in a moment, but this Supreme court, um, ruling yesterday, um, uh, against the NCAA had so many different, you know, columns written about it as if yesterday's opinion was going to be the beginning of the end for NCAA sports as we know it. I had um, our good friend Neil in Rockville on the radio show this morning to try to explain and walk me through a lot of it. And basically, I think, simply put, what this allows college athletes to do, for the lack of a a more descriptive um, uh, uh, description, of a more elaborate description, is it allows them to make money off of their educational track. College football players could not get paid internships. College basketball players, college athletes have not been able to get paid for summer jobs that may be an internship or associated with the career track they want to be on. To me, it's that, that's been a silly thing all along. But many people believe that this is the beginning of the end, that it opens the door for ultimately what we've all talked about in the past, which is college athletes being paid by schools. It was a nine to nothing ruling. Almost everybody that's written on this, Tommy, column wise, says this was a significant day in the history of college sports, that it opened the door for eventually college athletes to be paid and everything we know about college sports and the structure of college sports being changed. Um, Brett Kavanaugh wrote um, one of the opinions on it, um, and he was really adamant and, and took very much, believe it or not, the liberal position 
on um, a lot of this. And he wrote, he wrote, quote, nowhere else in America can business get away with agreeing not to pay their workers a fair market rate on the theory that their product is defined by not paying their workers a fair market rate. And under ordinary principles of antitrust law, it is not evident why college sports should be any different. The, un- the NCAA is not above the law, closed quote. His opinion pretty much tore into the NCAA's assertion that amateurism um, is the defining feature of college sports. And I have no idea personally where this goes. The only th- and, 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 and I also um, am, am not sure that anybody else really understands, because I think one of the things that most people don't understand is that most college athletic programs don't make money. I know that seems like a surprise to many, but like 90% of all college, major college athletic departments do not make a profit. The 10% that do, in some cases, make wild profits. Ohio State, Texas, Alabama, Georgia, the big super football powers. And then even after they pay for all of the expenses of their sport and the other 27 sports that don't generate any revenue other than men's college basketball, they have profits. I think over the years, and I've, you, know, you and I have had some of these conversations over the years, it amazes me how many writers and columnists think that like $4 billion television contract, uh, contracts with you know, the NCAA it equals profit. That's revenue. That's gross revenue. And then in any business, from that, that you know, top-line revenue number, you start su- to subtract all of the costs, and then you're either left with a profit or not a profit. And in most situations, there is no money to pay players. There's no money. Should players be able to make money off of their name, image, and likeness? Yes, I'm all for that. Even though I do think it'll create a slight recruiting advantage for the bigger powers, especially those in markets like Columbus, Ohio, and Tuscaloosa, where there will be mega opportunities to make money off name, uh, image, and likeness. Should, do I think they should get more money in terms of a stipend? Yes. Do I think they should have perpetuity in terms of college degree opportunities after they leave the school and being being able to come back for free? Yes. I think there are a lot of things that are really stupid. But to think, and this is the this is what people are writing that this is going to open the door for college players to get paid. They're not going to be able to get paid by 90% of the institutions. So what will happen is you'll end up having a breakup of the NCAA with those schools that can pay creating sort of their own Super League of Alabama, Ohio State, Texas, etc. You'll have a a Super League. I'm not sure that's bad. I'm not sure that's, that's a bad thing. And then maybe the rest of the college system can get back to actually being a normal college operation. It's bad, Tommy, because um, the sport, college sports have big brands, um, huge brands in the overall, you know, in our overall sports culture. And what's ironic, um, in my view, is that those brands really aren't built on the players. The players come and go, you know, in most cases in basketball in less than four years. 
coaches are actually more the college basketball brand than the players themselves. The programs, the traditions, the coaches, the the you know the, all of that stuff is as much a, uh, the brand in college football as um, Tim Tebow was. Um, again, I think the players are wildly under underserved in the current system and I would I would create ways for them to make money. They should be able to make money off of an internship off of a summer internship. That's ridiculous that they haven't been able to have jobs and earn money. Now, what they're worried about is that in some of these small towns or even big towns, you know, you get boosters that have car dealerships or businesses and all of a sudden that internship is worth 50 grand over a summer. Um and that creates recruiting inequities. But netting the whole thing out, most colleges and most college sports programs, even if you cut out all of the other non-revenue generating sports, okay? So football and basketball pay for the other 25 sports, female sports, male sports, all of the sports that don't generate any sort of reasonable top line, you know, revenue, um, you know, uh, money. Um, even if you cut out all those other sports, they still would barely make any money. So I don't know where like this thought from columnists over the years, including guys like Jay Billis who are on TV, where you're just going to start paying players in all of these places. You can't do it. It doesn't exist. It, that possibility doesn't exist. Now, if you want to claim, well, they, it, it exists for the coaches, Okay, so let's cut the coach's salary from six million to three million, or at a power five school like Maryland, where they pay the basketball coach, let's say two and a half to three million, cut it to a million and a half. Do you really think it's going to make that much of a difference? It's not. Um, and by the way, they're not amateurs. You know, they're not amateurs. They're coaches. They're in a capitalist system. You know, they 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 they're they're paid based on what somebody thinks they're worth. The players are in a situation, I don't want to get into the value uh, proposition, which I think um, the NCAA over the years has done a poor job of explaining the value to the athlete in playing college sports. I'm not talking about just room tuition and board. I'm not talking about food or training. I'm talking about the marketing platform that is college sports. So many of these players would not be known, would not get drafted, would not get the year, that first contract at the level that they get, wouldn't get endorsements that they get coming out of college unless they played at Kentucky, or unless they played at Duke, or unless they played at Georgia, or, or Bama, or Auburn, or USC. If they just went to the G League, or they played internationally, or they had, you know, Uncle Freddie coach them up, and then, you know, a year later enter their name into the draft, they their, their first, you know, three years in the league income-wise would probably be a fraction of what it what it is now if they played college, you know, if they played college sports. I'm still waiting for somebody to do that you know, analysis. People always point to room, board, and tuition, and food, and training, and medical, and that's not enough. How about the marketing platform for these guys that earns them millions in their first contract in the NBA or in the NFL, whereas if they didn't have college football or college basketball, it might be 40% of that. But whatever. Um, I don't think people really understand this story. I don't think I understand it completely, to be honest with you. And I think the only thing that people care about when it comes to this conversation is, are they going to pay the athletes, yes or no, and how will that impact college sports? And we're not there yet. 
Well, I mean, look, I don't have the same uh, passion for college sports that you do. Uh, so, and I think, like, I mean, it's it's kind of obscene. Uh, in my own personal viewpoint, it's obscene what's happened to so-called college athletics in, in this country. So I'm all for anything that 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 helps it crash. <laughs> I am. I am. I'm all for anything that helps it crash to the ground. God, isn't that funny? I mean, I love college sports more than I love pro sports. I well, th- you, you, I mean, a lot of it has to do with you went to a school where it was a big deal. Well, ba- basketball was obviously a big deal, and I love college basketball, but but I love pro sports too. But I think um, I don't think every, I, I, that's an interesting question. I wonder how many. I wonder whether or not the prerequisite for loving college sports more than pro sports or as much is that you had to go to a school where it was important. I think you had to grow. I I don't think that's true because I think in a lot of, you know, the Southeast and the Midwest in particular, in smaller markets that don't have pro teams, it's the college teams always, even if you didn't go to those schools. Yeah, well, let's take out the people – Let's take out the fan base that didn't go to the co- that didn't go to college. Okay, let's take them out of the well, equation. I, I, well, you, you, if you're heading down the track of of you know minimizing the people in in an area of the country no, that I'm may not, not be I'm as smart saying, as you are, no, okay, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that for for people who went to college, if you went to a college where where was a big time sports were a big deal. I think you carry that through your life. If you didn't, I, I don't. I don't think you care that much. Like I've told you before, like I have lots of friends who, in, 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 in the Poconos who are huge Penn State fans who never went to college. Right. I'm not dismissing them. I'm just saying there's a that, lot of those uh, people in the Southeast, in the Midwest, and in, yes. in, in, not, in, in, in Middle America. College sports are yes. bigger than pro sports. Yes. Anyway. I agree. Okay. Let um, it all crash and burn. What'd you say? Let it all crash and burn. Um, I, I did want to ask you about the Nats and their big weekend, and you know they they they've got a, a, a Scherzer's pitching tonight. Fetty's been amazing. Lester's you know been good. Corbin's back, and how about Kyle Schwarber? By the way, I'm trying to get yeah. him on the radio show. God, the Nats should should help out more often. But anyway. Uh, uh, the, the, leading off and hitting, you know, um, <laughs> hitting uh, five home runs with eight RBIs in two games. I mean, he he he's killing it right now. He's got 18 home runs this year. I know. Looks like a genius. Uh, and that's due for picking him up, coming off a, ba- a down year with the Cubs. And you got to give Dave Martinez credit for that. Uh, he was. One of Davey's guys, when Davey was with the Cubs coaching over there with Joe Baden, uh, he was the one who worked on sh- with Scherzer to help him be a better outfielder. And he was the one who, who convinced Rizzo, yeah, Schwarber, to, to bring him over here. So, uh, look, I mean, look, one of the things that, and you know, I, I like Davey, and I think he's a good manager. One of the things you, you'd have to say about Dave Martinez, and is that his teams never quit. You never hear about him grousing in the clubhouse when they go through hard times. You never hear about, you know, lack of effort. 
from the players. You hear about bonehead plays and stupid baseball from time to time. And to be honest with you, their their whole uh, their whole premise this year was to start off uh, much stronger, so they didn't have to go through this. Look how tough we are. We're going to come back thing, but they're doing it again this year. But I think that speaks to Davey's ability to connect with his players. It's a good point. I mean, they've they've never quit on him, and last summer's really not the example. I mean, look at they they are. This was a this was a key stretch for them because I, um, yeah. you know, I was talking to Zuckerman about this the other day. Their schedule, or actually, it was Dave Jagler who I had on the show the other day. Their schedule after these two games against Philadelphia and the four against Miami, uh, Mets for one game, a makeup game. Tampa, the Dodgers, the Padres, the Giants, and the Padres again. That is a killer stretch of schedule. You're playing really the best teams in the entire sport over about a month, you know, over a three to four week period, the all-star break, you know, mixed in there a, a little bit. You're, you're playing, you know, teams who in aggregate are, you know, an average of like 15 games over 500 right now. Um, so the fact that they came through this last stretch, they won seven of their last eight, puts them in position for these games to mean something. They could have been like 10, 11 back right now and the season truly slipping away, but Look, their starting pitching, Tommy, has been huge during this stretch. Huge. Without Scherzer, without Strasburg, uh, Corbin, and Fetty in particular. How about Eric Fetty and what he's done recently? If, if, if you're a Nats fan, you're crossing your fingers that this guy may finally have it. And this was a first-round pick. Yeah. You know, from, from 2004 to 2014 draft. And now he's pitching finally like a first-round pick. And, I mean, if he has found his place, that's found money for this team. Because they, they, they weren't too big inside the organization at this point on Fetty. Uh, they thought he was basically, you know, uh, at some point about a year and a half ago, I remember having a conversation with somebody who thought he would be never anything more than a one- or two-inning pitcher out of the bullpen. Well, that's changed dramatically now. Last three starts, no earned runs and nine total hits in in his last three starts. All three of them wins. That would be a huge lifesaver if they could add a fourth-quality starter to uh, this rotation when it's healthy. Yeah. Um. Big stretch coming up because two games against Philly and Miami, you know, if you can win four out of those six, then you can, you know, you're inching your way. You've inched your way almost back to 500, and that, you know, that sets up and bodes well for that brutal part of the schedule. They get Scherzer pitching tonight back after he pitched, what, two pitches, you know, last Friday before exiting. Um, All right, uh, I just wanted to mention that – yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry about that. What? I wanted to mention, people can read my column about uh, the Wizards and Jay Wright, the stuff we talked about in the podcast, last podcast, in the Washington Times. Go to WashingtonTimes.com slash sports. You can find my column on Twitter and Facebook. And just a reminder, uh, Nats Benefit, uh, uh, Nats, D.C. Gray's Benefit Concert, 
Sunday, July 11th, 2 to 5 p.m. at Caddy's on Cordell featuring King Soul. You can go to the D.C. Gray's website for tickets. That'll be awesome. Um, I wanted to quickly mention that the odds apparently on Ben Simmons being traded to the Wizards are the second or third best odds. I do not think the Wizards will trade for Ben Simmons. And I know at one point, I think um, a month or so ago, I said I would take Ben Simmons over Bradley Beal. I would not. Um, I was wrong about that. And I don't think that the Wizards will trade for Ben Simmons. And and Doc Rivers and the 76ers are in a bind here because he was so awful in that seventh and deciding game and so afraid um, in that seventh and deciding game the other night that anybody that was interested is is less interested now. And so Rivers' talk yesterday was about, you know, helping him um, become a better shooter, um, which he needs now, to become. You're, you're a shooter. I, I, How do you I, fix that? I fancied myself um, as a shooter um, at, at various points. You are points a in my shooter life. from what I've heard. Um, from what you've heard. Uh, I appreciate that. Look, I – I said this earlier today. It's you can if if when you are so bad as a shooter, um, I don't know how much better he can become at 24, 25 years old. Now we've seen guys who were inconsistent shooters, like Michael Jordan in college, um, become really good shooters in the NBA. But Michael Jordan knew how to shoot a basketball. You know, he had proper form shooting a basketball. Ben Simmons needs a, a total restructuring of the way he shoots a basketball. And it's like a golf swing, Tommy, which you know nothing about, and nor, nor do I, by the way, because I don't have much of a golf swing. But if you learned your golf swing at a very young age, you, you have it now. And it's the best time to learn it. You know, muscle memory, all those different things. And a golf swing, anybody that plays golf and you're listening, you know what I'm saying. If you learned golf at a young age and you learned how to swing and and you had a good golf swing, you've got one now. If you didn't develop a golf swing or start playing golf until you were in your 20s, you may be a good golfer, but you don't have that golf swing more likely than not. And as a shooter... But he doesn't have to be a good shooter. No, he just he, has to be able to shoot. Yeah, he's got to be able to shoot. right? So I don't know, given his form and given the fact that nobody, for whatever reason, ever taught him properly how to shoot a basketball, if he will end up being a good shooter. Um, R- Rivers talked about you know doing the work. We've got a plan, but it's got to be a plan where whatever he's working on, he's working on the correct way. You know, Markel Fultz had this anxiety issue too there for um, you know a year or two. The top pick, the the Dematha product, um, and you know he's overcome that. Simmons is such a phenomenal player in every other aspect of the game. He's an incredible defender. He's a great passer. He's a great ball handler, and he's a good finisher too when he's around the rim and wants to finish. He just can't stroke it with you know. Elbow in, elbow extended, free throw, you know, finger uh, tips, you right. know, spinning that ball backwards with backward rotation. It's he's it's he's got to learn it from scratch. It would be one thing if he were taught as a kid how to shoot it properly, and then um, eventually, you know, and he, he was just inconsistent. Um, and you needed to tweak it a little bit or you needed to practice it more. 
but it's the wrong stroke. I say that, and there are guys over time that haven't had the perfect stroke, but have figured it out. Yeah. You know, like yeah, they have. They've come up with their own their own way of shooting. Right, Jamal Wilkes, Tommy. Remember Jamal Wilkes, the way he shot a, a oh, basketball. Man. Um, Absolutely. And it was like uh, above his head, two hands on the ball, moving it right side and bring, moving it left side, bringing it around to the right side and just sort of a set. It was the ugliest thing you've ever seen, but he was very effective with it. Look, Kyrie, uh, Ka- Kawhi Leonard, my favorite player in the NBA. He has these super long arms and these big hands. He shoots very much a flat shot. There's not a lot of arc, but with his shot, Plenty of backward rotation, lots of fingertips, lots of extension. He's got the long arms, which get it out there, and he's just incredibly accurate with more of a flat shot. Um, But Simmons doesn't have anything working for him right now in terms of the shot. It's like they've got to start it from scratch. Um, I've read somewhere that people, somebody suggested switch hands. I've heard that. Learn how to shoot with the other hand. I've heard that a couple of times from a couple of people. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, because I think he is ambidextrous. I think he, um, anyway, they'll work on it. I I did did want to mention real quickly, Chris Paul's out again tonight. I I, I don't understand why he's still out unless he actually continues to, um, I thought that the protocol had him out and ready to play on Tuesday, uh, which is or on Monday, which was yesterday. Game one was phenomenal. Game two is tonight. No Kawhi Leonard again. I have a feeling his knee is is shot and he's not playing at all again in these playoffs. But the Clippers are just hopeful and maybe they're just keeping it out there for competitive reasons. So Phoenix has to think he's playing. Um, but he didn't even make the trip to Phoenix. I w- I hope he comes back. Um, but I I I like Phoenix tonight to take a two nothing. Series lead for those of you who care. They're laying five. I kind of like them minus the number. Um, anyway, uh, we're done for the day. You got anything else? I got nothing else for you, boss. Okay. Uh, back tomorrow, um, although there is a a bit of a possibility we may take off tomorrow and then try to do something as a makeup over the weekend. But uh, I'll figure it out between now and then. Have a great day.